holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. This is Oscast Extra. Hello and welcome to the very first ever Magpie Cast Extra with James from Gunnerblog. James, I read the Swiss Ramble thread this morning. Forget it. There's no point. I can't deal with Arsenal anymore. So let's make this podcast entirely about magpies. So goodly morning to you. Oh, what a goodly morning it is. I'm sure <laughs> our listeners will be so delighted as if the magpie content hasn't been enough. Uh, to this point on the podcast, to go full magpie. What a treat. Thank what you, Andrew. Track. I really appreciate it. No problem. I'm sure you've got uh, 90 minutes worth of magpie facts there right in front of you. We'll just delve straight into those. No, look, we will, of course, have some magpie uh, mayhem a bit later on because it has been the the development of the summer. People are telling me it's what's getting them through these dark times with the club, with the finances, with the no transfers, with with everything else. Magpies and magpie facts are keeping them on the on the straight and narrow. And I've got something for you. I'm going to play you something a bit later on in the podcast. I think you're going to like it. Uh, so we'll we'll save that for later on. There's a little tease for you. Wow, hook to keep people listening and mm. see what happens with the magpies. Yeah. Um, so you've read the Swiss Ramble thread. I mean, it's a day of mixed news for Arsenal, isn't it? Because it's it's the end of Puma, officially, today. Hurrah! Hurrah. Goodbye, Puma. I really enjoyed seeing Man City unveiling their big partnership with Puma and thinking, well, at least we're rid of them. That's something. That's yes. a small victory over at Man City. Yeah. Uh, and Adidas, of course, have launched their kit this very morning. They have. That's right. They have. And I tell you what, given that it is dark times and it is a bit uh, up in the air... And we have launched this new kit, and the new kit is lovely. There's no question about that. The new home shirt is absolutely lovely. To cheer people up, uh, I'll do a bit of a competition later on in which you can win one of the brand new Adidas shirts. We'll give someone a chance uh, to win that. I will provide the winner with a shirt um, in the size of their choosing with the lettering and number on the back and whatever they would like. So stay tuned for that as well. So lots, lots of, uh, we'll do our best to, to keep people um, upbeat. Upbeat, exactly. That was it. I was, I was about to say away from cliff edges and I thought that was a bit dark. Yeah. <laughs> it was, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but do stay away from cliff edges, guys. They're, yeah. they're treacherous, precipitous things. Uh, also, you might be pleased to know, Le- do you follow Laith? Laith Youssef, who's the yes. Arsenal correspondent at Football London. He is at the Arsenal store right now at the kit launch, and I saw him tweet saying he's looked all over the store and he cannot find any shirts pre-printed with Skodran Mustafi's name. So maybe that's a good omen for Wow. You. Wow, this is, I like the layers of stuff that goes on during the summer, you know, in transfer markets Mm. and and rumours. You know, there's no, I wonder, can you buy a Mustafi shirt 
on the Arsenal direct store. I did I did can. I did have a look at the the online store and it was creaking uh earlier yeah, on. Yeah, it was it was it was uh everybody's struggling. out there. But I oh uh, no, can't error 503 back end fetch failed. Guru oh. meditation XID. The guru is meditating on the Arsenal yeah. Direct website. So um, yeah, my back end fetch failed once. I'd see a doctor about that. <laughs> quite quite tricky. <laughs> but I uh, yeah, I I was promised as well by quite a lot of uh, angry people on Twitter that once it was July first, of course, when the kit launched, suddenly you know the Armory store would open and there'd be a raft of new signings all stood there wearing it. So mm. I feel a bit confused. Yeah, well, it is only 10.37 in the morning, James. Give them a chance. True. You know, it's True. early in the day. They've probably just had their breakfast, you know, champagne and strawberries and, and all the rest. And our, our recruitment team are getting the business done right now. They're just, they're just waiting until the buzz from the kit launch dies down in the next hour or two. And then they'll just, a procession of players, procession of players, one after the other. We won't know what's hit us by the end of today. I mean, I desperately hope that's true. People might think we don't want to be wrong or look made look stupid. I'd love to be made to look stupid. Please, let it happen again. Again and again and again, yeah. Um, well, we'll see. We will see. So where do we start today? Um, oh, oh, can, I, can yeah. I say something on the kit? Yeah. It is really lovely, and the video is great, and I really yeah. enjoyed it. Um, but just to sort of, you know, swing the pendulum back towards the negative briefly, I, I wondered if I in part enjoyed it because it is by its nature sort of nostalgic. You know, it, it, it yeah. harks back to the past in terms of the look of the kit. In, it, when the video, you watch the video, yes, it's got the modern players in it, but it's constantly flashing back to Ian Wright or clips of him and Rocky Rowcastle. Tony Adams. And I kind, yeah. Tony Adams. I kind of wonder if part of the reason that it feels good when you watch that video is that it's connecting us to an Arsenal that we've slightly lost a bit of touch with. And that's sort of a bit of an indictment of the way things are right now as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because we all associate that Arsenal with... Um, it's easy to love Ian Wright and, and the teams that, you know, Tony Adams was captain of and all that kind of stuff. Not that they were always brilliant, but, you know, those are sort of maybe rose-tinted glasses. And the video was very clever in that regard, wasn't it, in harking mm. back to, to those days. Um, some would say that's a very cynical marketing trick, um, but, but it, it worked. It was very effective. I thought the video was great. The way it leaked out over the, the weekend, I'm sure, wasn't uh, to everybody's pleasure. Um, the people behind the video maybe uh, wanted to launch it today with the kit, mm. but I, I think it probably created a bigger buzz coming out the way that it did. You know, it was very, uh, without wanting to sound like a marketing wanker or anything, and apologies to any marketing wankers uh, out there who are listening. Uh, I don't mean you're all wankers. I just mean that some people in marketing are wankers. Same as in any, any industry. Um, but... I've completely lost uh, what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> I think it probably helped them, to be honest, going out early because yeah. it meant over the weekend excitement about this launch was building and that's yes. probably played into why you now can't get on the club shop. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Um, there was something else I was definitely going to say about this kit and this video, um, but my mind has gone blank. Is it that you uh, can't wait to visit Rwanda? Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe it does. Uh, what it was was basically how it shifted the mood 
online. Mm. I know you can use Twitter as a barometer for 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 public sentiment. I mean, you can to an extent, but you know there is a bigger, wider world out there. But you know that's the world in which we exist. You know, for the most part, online and doing what we do. You you spend a lot of time online, and you can see people talking about stuff, and and you can feel the mood from the people that you follow, and you get a general sense of how they're feeling about things. And it was all quite downbeat. And then the kit video came out, and it was like, oh yeah, this is this is great. This is really really good. I'm enjoying this. I feel strangely optimistic about what what's going on and and you know if we can come up with something that good surely there have to be some good people in there somewhere you know there's a chance there's a Mm. chance and then swiss ramble dropped his twitter thread (laughs) (laughs) well i think i think there is something really interesting in there i think it shows that you know arsenal aren't always a club that are great at communicating what they're about what they stand for what Mm. their ethos is and it it, weirdly it's taken a brand to come in and do that and and granted adidas are sort of great communicators great advertisers but what they've done is they've sort of told a story that we as fans are like oh we identify with that and we can get behind it and i think the club could learn a lot from that i don't think they they do enough of that really and i think the sort of you know, the sort of unclear identity we have is partly why we all feel a bit disenfranchised as supporters. But it does sort of cover a multitude of sins. And Swiss Ramble, anyone who's not read that Twitter thread this morning, mm. lays it bare, doesn't he? Certainly in economic terms. Yes, he really does. Should we go through some of the uh, highlights of that for people who haven't yet? Uh... Yeah, I mean, if we can, if we can face it. Yeah, we're uh, getting dangerously close to that cliff edge now, Andrew. Yeah, I know. I'm staying away. Um, okay, we are going to report a loss. That's for sure. Um, we went from a position. I mean, it's it's kind of mad, isn't it? Because we went from a position of real financial strength, where we had more cash in the bank than all the rest of the Premier League clubs put together at one point, if I'm right. Maybe I'm mm. wrong about that, but I do feel like I read that somewhere. Maybe it's in the thread. I can't I can't think. But we did have such a, a, a good financial position to be in, particularly during years when we were told money was very tight, you know? And then we reached this 2014 thing, and that's when we're supposed to, to really kick on. We're supposed to kick on as a football club financially because the some of the constraints some of the deals that we had to do to get the stadium built you know they were gone and we could throw off those shackles and do all these amazing new deals and you know there was the 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 emirate sponsorship was renewed and there was the puma kit deal which at the time was a very big deal but you know when you look at the the commercial revenue and and the the way that revenue is falling being out of the champions league which i think is something we need to discuss this morning uh, in the light of that swiss ramble thread you know it's very worrying to look at the way the finances are right now. Yeah, and obviously we had all that cash in the bank, but one of the things that Swiss Ramble points out is what that resulted in was us paying a lot more tax than any other club, which, uh, you know, probably good for everybody, but not mm. good for Arsenal and not good for Arsenal fans. Mm. And, yeah, I was, I have to say, uh, shocked at the discrepancy between Champions League revenue and Europa League revenue. When it's laid bare, I think it's because I, I think I'm guilty of thinking on it on a sort of season-by-season season basis. But when you look at it across the two years that we've been in the Europa League, it suddenly is a massive gap, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And, you know, 
off-field stuff as well. I mean, okay, we'll talk about the football side of that in a minute, but I thought this was really interesting as well. Commercial revenue has barely grown in three years, up by just four million since 2015. In the same period, growth at the other big six clubs ranges from 38 million to 79 million. So, I mean, success on the pitch has an impact on your commercial um your commercial revenue. We all understand that. And if you're winning the Premier League, then you're a more attractive proposition to brands and you probably can attract bigger deals and what have you. But, you know, we did win the uh, the FA Cup in 2015. We won the FA Cup in 2017. So there was some measure of financial success. I think uh, Kieran uh, Swiss Ramble did uh, a very good job of pointing us in the direction of Ivan Gazidis and his performance as chief executive uh, or CEO, whatever he fucking was, uh, who presided over this period of decline. I mean, he left last uh, October or whatever it was, and he's left in a, you know, he's left a, a big fucking mess behind him. And that was basically yeah. his job, was to... Um, was to manage the business side of the club. And I do remember people telling me that there were, you know, Gazidis was sort of squirreled away from everybody. Um, not a great communicator with staff that the the commercial revenue and the commercial deals that we were doing or not doing, you know, this is this was down to him. This is completely down to him. Um, and he, he decided to get more involved in the football side of things, which some might say was necessary, but, you know, some of the footballing decisions that we've made in the period where he has been um, more involved or was more involved have not been the best decisions. So um, we can point a lot of fingers at a lot of people, you know, the football side of things, and Arsene Wenger, ultimately Stan Kroenke, he's the, people who, he's the man who, who put these people in charge or let, Ivan Gazidis and let those people run the club the way they did but Gazidis wow yeah he's worse than I thought yeah he he is certainly on the commercial front and I never thought he was that good by the way just to just to be really clear did you not no I should have mentioned it before on the podcast (laughs) Uh, Uh, no I am I was again staggered at the lack of commercial growth as compared to other clubs across that decade. It worries me slightly, given that that Vinay is an internal appointment. You know, it's ultimately he was kind of part of that team. I'm not sure exactly for how long. For me, the buck does stop with the owner. I know, you know, Gazidis is going to take a lot of flack, and rightly so. He made a lot of money while Arsenal didn't, but the fact that Kroenke, you know, must have access to these figures, must be aware of what's going on, and just sort of allowed it to play out like that. I find deeply alarming. Um, and I do find the sort of correlation between our on-pitch fortunes and our off-pitch fortunes really powerful. I mean, to go back to the European thing, I think in the last two years, we made £74 million from playing, competing in Europe. Liverpool made £189. Spurs, £163. Mm. I mean, it's, it's nearly double, isn't it, in some of those instances? More than mm. double. Yeah. And... Uh, that's huge. And every year we are out of the Champions League costs us enormously and it has such knock-on effects. It affects our commercial pulling power, our ability to do those kinds of deals. Uh, it affects, you know, the type of players we're able to attract. It's just, it's becoming a, a very dangerous cycle. It is. And that's why I think um, the failure to achieve top four Mm. last season it was bad in the first place but I think in the light of this 
It's not necessarily new information, is it? But when, when uh, yeah, I think the Arsenal Supporters Trust put out a uh, an analysis of our finances and it wasn't great, but I think the way that Kieran does it, he spells it out in, in bite-sized chunks that even if you're somebody who doesn't quite um, get the world of finance and all that, it's so easily digestible and you look at it in that Twitter thread and it's just, it's awful. And the consequences of not finishing in the top four last season are now even more uh, damaging and harmful because we're going to spend another year in that poxy Europa League um, playing shite teams for the first six games, whatever it is, in the, in the group stages. You know, probably a couple of dodgy ones in, in the early uh, parts of the knockout. Uh, the revenue that we are going to miss out on um, is huge. It, mm-hmm. it affects the way we can build our squad. It really makes me think now that this focus on youth is because there's just no money or they won't they won't be uh, able to spend the way we should be able to spend or the way that we need to spend to rebuild this squad. Project Youth, if that's what it is, is a necessity rather than invention, if you like. Um, and, and that's a bit worrying as well. Um, so how much of a finger should we be pointing at Unai Emery for not achieving that finish and... Do you think that the reaction to it, I have a little bit of a theory about this, the reaction to not finishing in the top four has been slightly more apathetic than I thought it would be? I think you're right. It has been quite apathetic. What's your theory then? Let's, let's, uh, my theory let's hear is, it. My theory is that um, after we didn't finish in the top four, obviously people were frustrated and disappointed, but we had this what was it, nearly two weeks or three weeks mm. between the end of the season and the Europa League stay final. Stay of execution. So there yeah. was, a, yeah, exactly, a kind of a stay of execution. We had another chance to put it right. We had another chance. And we fucked that, I mean, in royal fashion. We got absolutely reamed in the Europa League final yeah. by Chelsea 4-1. But I think at that point, the frustration of not finishing in the top four had sort of not quite dissipated, but it was sort of put on the back burner a little bit or, or or we were just focused on this Europa League final. Then the Europa League final happened and it was like, oh, fuck. Just like, ah, oh, fuck off. Just get this season over and done with. I can't even think about it anymore. I think people right. just switched off without really... I'm not saying they didn't understand the consequences or 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 appreciate how difficult it was going to make it for us. But I just think that there was so fucking fed up with having done what we did in the league, and then you get massacred in a final by Chelsea and Giroud. It was just like, ah, fuck this. Just go away. I don't want to think about it. But I think mm. now that it comes back into into stark relief right in front of our eyes based on the based on the, the, the finances and, and what it's going to mean for the club, not just next season, but probably the season after and the season after. You know, the further we are established as a Europa League club, the more we get pulled away from the big six or the other teams in the in the big six. And at the same time, you know, we did only finish a point off, but it, it really is, um, I think it's really, really bad the way we finished the season. And I think 
it's quite possible that an owner with real ambition would have made a managerial change at another club. Mm, and I can possibly. see, I can sort of see why in the circumstances Arsenal didn't and well, it, wouldn't. It cost us 17 million to get rid of the last manager, so maybe, maybe that's maybe genuinely that's, a factor. Maybe. Maybe. But it, I think it's, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's a shocker. He had a shocker, Unai Emery, yeah, at the end I, of the I, season. I agree. I understand why the reaction to the league campaign wasn't that big, because you're right, we had that potential sort of, you know, safety valve, didn't we, of the uh, of the Europa League to fall back on. But the fact that we lost a final with so much on the line so heavily and the response to that was relatively mooted is quite uh, difficult to understand. And I think maybe it is a bit of apathy. And we've talked about how dangerous apathy can be. I think, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Unai Emery had a fantastic opportunity to get top four for this team. We were the favourites to do it. We ought to have done it. We didn't do it. We massively dropped the ball there. Um, I also think there is a measure of blame on people higher up in the club. I I still maintain we didn't get January right at all. We had lost three players to season-ending injuries. We brought in a player on loan, Dennis Suarez, who's now turned up at Celta Vigo, which I think is probably more his level and shows you maybe that he wasn't the right signing for us to make at that time and that's how it played out. I think we didn't do enough then too. Mm. And I think given the fact that we were in it, you know, we might not have been in the race for top four in January the way we're talking at the start of the season, but we very much were. We had an opportunity to push on, secure it. I think push, pushing the boat out, spending some money then might have been the difference and we might be looking at a very different situation now too. Oh, you went a bit weird there. Oh, right. No, that's okay. Well, just no. You just went, it just went a bit. Blah, 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 blah. But that's oh, okay. fine. That's fine. I think people will uh, have understood. They what know you what said. I meant. They yeah. know what you meant. Yeah, you know, I, I can see all those factors. I can see it all. I just, you know, I just worry a little bit that uh, that end of season has been been overlooked. Um, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, I suppose the sort of the, the the counterpoint to that is kind of what's to be gained now. Like we've we fucked it, but yeah. what can we do? Well, I mean, you could change the manager. Is what is, get, is I think what a, you're getting get, to. You could get a better manager and get some new players. Um, I, I guess that would be one way of improving things. But you know, we could still get some new players, and maybe Unai Emery can do better next season. I hope he can. I really well, do. He has to. I think he, he has, has to. to. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, um, if it was a two-year plan to get back into the Champions League, um, we we fell at the first hurdle. So um, I don't quite know how to um, flesh out this athletics uh, analogy any further. Um, so sure. there. Um, what else? Anything? Anything else we should talk about? Like from well, the this- kit or the finances? Any other points to make on the finance? Apart from like we're fucked. Well, I guess, you know, so many people are going to buy this kit that the finances will immediately be reversed. I mean, one thing to say is, um, I suppose, the the Adidas deal, you know, doesn't feature in this set of financial results. That's true. Feature. Um, I don't think the Rwanda deal features in it. So there's a bit of commercial income coming in that improves things. But we are, to continue the athletics analogy on your behalf, what this shows is we have fallen behind. And... Even the wins now, even the small gains, we are playing catch-up. And those teams, mm. 
ahead of us in the top six are streaking away. And we have squandered quite a strong financial position over the past decade, really, in pretty spectacular fashion. Yeah, you think about all that money we sat on at a time when that money would have gone really, really far. Really far. Yeah. We, we kept our powder dry. And then... But everyone's shooting laser guns now. Yeah. Yeah. Or someone came along and pissed all over our powder. Yeah. That was... And it wasn't flammable. Is, is piss flammable? <laughs> I, I don't think <laughs> so. Hang on, I need to do an experiment. Get, <laughs> get me a glass and a lighter. Um, <laughs> You're not going straight for the stream, no? No, I don't want to take too many risks. Um... Yeah, no, it's not good. It's not good. I mean, it seems quite absurd that we're probably going to move on to transfers now, having spoken about how little money we uh, have and are going to have. Yeah. What transfers? What well, transfers? we're going to buy Wilfred Zaha for £80 million. No, we? we're not. I mean, no, we're not. We're not going to sign Wilfred Zaha at all, I don't think. I would what be. Do you, what do you make of that uh, story? <laughs> there was a lot of noise about it this week and, you know, mm. how Arsenal's his dream... Move. He he loves the Europa. He loves the Europa League. Loves it. Loves it. Can't wait for those glorious nights against FC Scrat. Um Yeah, I, I look. He might want to join us. I could understand why if he's an Arsenal fan, um, mm. a Londoner, a Londoner as well. You know, he would want to to join Arsenal. Um, you know, Crystal Palace. Uh, with all due respect, is is a is a smaller club, um, but I don't think it's in any way realistic. Certainly not for what Palace will be looking for, uh, what they'd be well within their rights to look for for a player of of his profile, um, and yeah, I just don't see any feasible way in which it can happen. Not even if we sell Aubameyang, and I don't understand why anyone would want us to sell. Aubameyang, so we could finance a deal for Wilfred Zaha. I mean, I quite like him. I think he's a he's a decent player. He would certainly add something to our attack that we don't have—a measure of unpredictability. Somebody who's who's willing and able to run with the ball. He could win us some penalties for sure. But I just don't see him making anything like the kind of contribution in terms of goal scoring or assist making that would uh, offset the loss of Aubameyang. I just don't mm. get what people are on about with this. It's kind of mental. I don't think many people... Well, I don't know. Are people seriously suggesting a sort of one-in, one-out of Aubameyang for Zaha? Well, well, not not so much that, but the idea that the only way we could get the money for Zaha is if we sell someone valuable. And Aubameyang is one of the only valuable players we've got in the squad. Aubameyang, Lacazette, maybe Bellerin. Mm. After that... There's nobody Terrell, really going to fetch Terrell, yeah, yes, sort of. But. Not, not people who are going to fetch big, big fees. I, I mean, one of the things is I've seen a lot of Arsenal fans saying that the money that Palace are sort of theoretically demanding for Zaha is, is crazy. And, you know, I think some of the figures, like 100 million, is obviously absurd. Yeah, but when yeah. it's sort of more in that sort of like 60 bracket, yeah. I do kind of think that's sort of what, people cost now like mm. I, I i think us as arsenal fans we may be sort of a bit naive about what players cost i mean aaron wambasaka i know he's younger but he just cost 50 million quid you and, know? and he only made his debut for palace in in february of last year you know he's yeah. barely got a 
just over a season of first-team football under his belt. And look, he had a great season. He looks a very promising young player. But £50 million is what it costs for a very promising young player. Zaha's more established. Um, and He's worth more to Palace in terms of what he contributes to their points tally and yeah. what he brings to their team. Um there are other factors that mean it's just such an unlikely deal. I mean, the fact that Palace have sold Wambasaka means they're under no pressure, really, to mm. to sell financially. If they want and to also, buy more, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I also think they're due, like a quite hefty chunk of the fee would go to Manchester United. So again, that's going to lead them to drive the price Up. higher and higher. Yeah. Uh, I just... I can't see it happening. I, I would really like to happen, see it happen from a playing point of view. I think Arsenal became so predictable in attack at points last season. I think Zaha brings unpredictability. He can play on either flank. He can play through the middle. He replaces sort of Danny Welbeck in terms of the positions he can operate in and, and maybe bringing a slightly chaotic element to the way we go forward. Um, mm. I also slightly wonder if like he's sort of the best level of player who would want to join Arsenal. You know, I, I see sometimes people say, well, we could get Nicolas Pepe for that. And then I see Nicolas Pepe linked with Bayern Munich, Juventus, Liverpool. Mm. And I think, well, he wouldn't come to Arsenal. Why would he come to Arsenal? Yeah, not if he's got those options. No. You know, we don't, I mean, obviously we can't say how realistic those links are. But yeah, I mean, if you're... Uh, on if, paper. Yeah, if you're, if you're offered one of those clubs or Arsenal... I mean, why would you choose Arsenal right now? If you're looking right now, at, looking I mean, from the outside in at Arsenal, you know, you, you still see, you know, a big club with a big reputation. But if you do any kind of due diligence, and I'm sure an agent would do exactly that. I mean, we don't have the ability even to so, so, to say, look, maybe we're not the, the most attractive club right now. We're going through a bit of a, a fallow period or a rebuilding process. But what you don't have, certainly, um, I, I'm not aware of it, is any any sense of direction in terms of what we're going to do. Like, imagine if Arsenal sort of said, um, uh, we're, we're going to bring in a young coach and we're going to build in two seasons or three seasons towards this. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to blah, blah, blah. You know, if you could mm. see that, you might say, okay, I could take a chance and I could join Arsenal and I could help be part of that process or I could grow. But, we, you know, we, we don't have that. We're sort of floundering along. It's July. We still haven't bought any players. We haven't moved any players on. We haven't done any transfer business whatsoever. The preseason is starting in, what, a week? Less than a week. We're going on the American tour next week. And, you know, nothing has changed from last season, apart from Freddie Jumberg being brought into uh, the first team coaching squad and Steve Ball going down to, to the under-23s. That is the only thing that's changed, apart from we've lost Petr Cech, we've lost Aaron Ramsey, we've lost Danny Welbeck, haven't replaced any of them. Um, and, and so, I mean, what is there to be enticed towards at Arsenal right now, particularly when we're not in a position either to say, well, okay, it's a bit shit, but we can pay you a lot if you come in. Well, that's it. A player's career is short, and I think it's quite rare that a footballer genuinely thinks, do you know what? I'm going to be part of a project for the next yeah. five to six years. Like, a, a lot of the time, being part of those projects coincides with being paid an awful lot of money, and I don't think that's coincidence. And basically, a footballer will look at it now and say, what can I make, and am I playing in the Champions League? And at Arsenal, both those things are going to be compromised, and I think that's going to be a problem for us. So I don't think it's... 
surprising, particularly that the names we're being most cl- closely linked with are, you know, Zaha, Tierney, British players who want to go to sort of the next level in their career and probably aren't quite able to go to sort of the top European stage. And, and that's the position that we're in. But then, you know, when you think about it, you know, Tierney at £25 million could be a great deal for us. You know, if he's our left back yeah, for the next seven or eight years, you know, fine. I think £25 million in the current market for an established international player, you know, is, is kind of what you have to pay. But, you know, even someone like Zaha from Palace, for what Palace would want from him, is out of our price range. It's mm. He's just not... Um, unless there's some influx of money which, I, you know, there can't be or there won't be under KSE unless, you know, unless somebody uh, at Arsenal right now is is on the phone, on the WhatsApp. They love a good WhatsApp, don't they? That's what they were talking about. Vinay and Raul were talking oh, about yeah. their WhatsApps with, with Stan and Josh Kroenke. Maybe they could get on the WhatsApp and send him the Swiss Ramble uh, Twitter thread and some... Um, some reaction to it because it's been very, very disheartening because, you know, it's just, it feels so directionless and rudderless. And and the bottom line here is that from a financial point of view, um, we're being affected really badly. You know, the sporting side of things, the football side of things, that's a different thing. But like, whatever Cronky gives a fuck about, we know it's not really football. He doesn't care about that. He doesn't really care if Arsenal win trophies. They say they do, but of course they don't really because they don't act in a way which makes you think that they, they, they genuinely have any ambition. So, you know, they can talk all they want, but get on the WhatsApp and look, here's what's happening to your investment from a financial point of view. And the only way to turn that around is to be better on the pitch. They, you know, it's, it's obvious that that's the only real way to turn that around. Be a better football team. Achieve more. Win more games. Get more points. Get into the Champions League. Build. Invest uh, in the squad. Make it better. You know, commercial revenue will increase. Prize money will increase. All of that will happen if you get better on the pitch. But if we don't, and if we continue on this trajectory, then you're going to get hit in the pocket, Stan. Does he care enough? To make any in, uh, input, I don't know. Don't think so. But and and also, is he playing a long enough game that he'll just regard this as, you know, a, a dip that he thinks will well, level out? Yeah, may, maybe so. But it, you know, is the long game the European Super League? Is that what the long game is for for a lot of these clubs and for for the owners? Certainly, mm-hmm. a European Super League um, would be very attractive to billionaire owners because, you know, uh, you have all this, you'll have all this uh, TV revenue, broadcast revenue that comes with it. There's no danger of relegation for a good number of years if if that's the way that it's going to go. Maybe the long game is that. But maybe, maybe, unless you do something about it, you're not the kind of club that will be invited to take part in a European Super League, regardless of your stature, regardless of, you know, your your supposed playing power or, or anything else. You know, if Arsenal are a team that doesn't finish in the top four on a regular basis, maybe we just, we're not that attractive mm. for the European Super League. So, you know, there's, you know, we, we all know the reasons why. 
we need to invest. I just don't know whether Kroenke cares enough uh, to do anything about it. Two more questions on Wilfred Zaha. Okay. Two more points. Do you think there's any way that Arsenal could put together a deal where they exchanged players with Crystal Palace? Who would they want? Who could, who would we give them? I mean, them? The, the first one that I always think of is Callum Chambers. Right. He loves going to teams in the lower reaches of the Premier League and being really good for them. Yeah, I mean, it would have to be a permanent deal. It would have mm. to be a permanent deal. Yes, Callum Chambers would Because that could be, you be. know, you could say he's worth, I don't know, 20 million quid, maybe? Yeah, why not? He's young, so it's Certainly English. in this market. Yeah. Um, after that, what do they like? Mm. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, Mustafi, for example, um, you know, he's a, he's a candidate. Did you see the story that we, um, over the weekend, that Mustafi was being linked with Fenerbahce? Yeah. And we apparently asked for £25 million for Mustafi. Imagine doing that with a straight face. Hang on, we wanted them to give us that? Yeah. Wow. And Fenerbahce were a bit like, nah, nah. So they're now exploring the possibility of a loan deal. Um, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, £25 million. Pounds. Imagine we're trying, we're trying to fucking lowball Celtic and at the same time trying to squeeze £25 million pounds out of Fenerbahce for Mustafi. Well, listen, on what? the Kieran Tierney thing and on the price tag thing, I don't know if you saw this deal go down over the weekend, but Southampton left-back Matt Target uh, left Southampton and joined Aston Villa for mm. £14 million. And Target is less experienced, uh, I think older than Kieran Tierney, and frankly, not as good. So if he fetches uh, 14 million quid... I think it's fair enough for Tierney to be, you know, at 25 or whatever he's going to ultimately be. Mm. Uh, I think that will still be relatively good value. And I think Arsenal have to be realistic about what players cost at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, by the way, an update on the Kieran Tierney oh, yeah? situation. News, um, news? Evan, yes, Evan McGalpine, uh, one of my Twitter followers, got in touch with me last night to say exclusive ITK info on Kieran Turney. He is in Glasgow at my work at the moment, the Everyman Cinema in Prince's Square. He should be at Celtic's Austrian pre-season training camp at the moment. Also, he's watching Toy Story 4. So, (laughs) (laughs) that, I mean, get hold of that, guys. Last night, he was not undertaking a medical. He was neither at the uh, Austrian training camp. He was watching Toy Story 4. Quite a late showing. It was at, like, 10 p.m. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know Toy Story 4 would be on at that time. I, I would quite like to watch Toy Story 4. I would. I would. I've heard it's very good. Mm. Um, but yes, uh, and, Ke- and Evan actually had his photo taken with Kieran Tierney. Oh, so wow. He was legitimately watching Toy Story 4. He asked him about Arsenal. He didn't really say anything. His girlfriend laughed audibly. Maybe they've seen the contract offer. <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal, <laughs> you must be yeah. joking. Yeah, oh um, my goodness. Well, so that's the very latest on that deal. That's the very latest. So he's not in London doing a medical, he's watching cartoons. He's not at the kit launch, I'll tell you that for free. No. Um, but that does feel like that might be edging closer. I mean, the one thing I would say, the final thing I was going to say about Zaha is that, you know, Tierney's such a 
a necessary signing because I've said, as I've said before, we don't have. We can rely on Project Youth all we want. We don't really have a left back who's coming through the academy who you're sort of like, he's the guy. Mm. In the in the case of Zaha, you could say, well, we've got Reese Nelson, we've got Xavier Michi. Would we be better? investing that playing time, Emil Smith-Rowe, in that clutch of young players yeah. hoping one of them reaches that level, you know? Yeah, maybe so. Um, there doesn't appear to be much else going on in the in, in the transfer market. Um, Yassine Brahimi? Did you see that story? I saw that story, yeah. It's, he's, uh, he was at Porto, right? He's a free agent now. He's a free agent. That's a good think, price. Yeah, well, that makes me think maybe there's something in it, you know, if, if he's available. For, he's 29, which mm. uh, is not... Ideal, but yeah, mm. I mean, it, it, there are so many things that seem weird about it that you part of you goes, That'll probably happen. Yes, yeah, it was like you, you know, that sinking feeling you got where you heard the rumor we were interested in Mikel Silvestri, and you're like, No way, no, yeah. no, oh, oh, it's real. I know of it's course. real just because it's so awful. It, it's real. I don't know much about him as a player, it, it seems to me a bit like an agent. Um, getting his client's name out there at this time of the at this time of the summer, you know, very possibly, but very possibly. I mean, he's a sort of left-sided attacking midfielder. Scored, I think, nine goals for Porto last season. Uh, he's very technically gifted. Is he? Is he? I've seen him play for Algeria, right. and he's. he's he, I think he's. I think he's, you know, when Algeria was at the World Cup, and they were like really exciting to watch. And, yeah. Uh, he was, you know, one of their best players okay. in that. But, you know, I'm not sure it's a game changer for us at all. Um, what about, uh, what's the latest on the the boy, the French Saliba, the French centre-back? Oh, apparently more talks this week. Um, Spurs are hovering. Spurs are hovering around. But I don't think there's been any real development on that over the weekend. There's the, who else has been linked with us? The... Uh, the guy at Borussia Dortmund, Joey Jojo Jones Zagadu. Oh, Dan Axel Zagadu. Dan Great Axel name. Zagadu, yeah. Zagadu. Yeah. Um, he apparently says he wants to join us. Uh, another one who hasn't read Swiss Ramble's Twitter thread. Um, mm. Yeah, we should get all players off social media just in case they read that. I'm not going there. Jesus. Yeah. Um, but apart from that, like, there's been a surprising lack of incoming transfer information. Are you sort of, are you hopeful or optimistic or expecting it to just sort of all kick off now that it's July, now that, you know, contracts are expired and we've got a new, a new home kit in which we can um, picture the players, we can take photos of them? And put them up. Are you, are I mean, you expecting feel... it or what? What do you think? I'm expecting Gabriel Martinelli to be announced anytime soon, to be honest. That, you know, because that's been a done deal for some time, as far as we understand it. Um, apart from that, I'm not expecting much. I sort of increasingly am of the mind that it's going to be Project Youth and there'll be one or two signings. One of them might not even be available for us to play for us this season. Uh, and uh, and that might be a lot and we might be seeing a lot more of the young players I mean there's so much to be gained from that one guy we're not signing is Christopher Nkunku who has gone to Leipzig, Leipzig hasn't he for yeah. 15 million euros but you know PSG this summer they needed to shift players 
is to help them meet uh, FFP regulations. In the space of a few days, they sold uh, Nkunku to Leipzig, Ware, Timothy Ware to Lille, Moussa Diaby to Bayer Leverkusen. They're all youth prospects. They cost the club nothing, and they made a profit of about €40 million. Euros. And mm. it's massively helped out their accounts. And maybe Arsenal can learn something from that. Yeah, poor old PSG with their hardly any money whatsoever. You know, good for them raising some much-needed funds that they can, uh, you know, buy the odd £200 million player in the transfer <laughs> market with. Yeah, look, I know, I do know what you mean. And I think that is, you know... Perhaps I actually wrote about that in the blog today, that financially, you know, um, there might be benefits of, of using young players, even if they don't quite make the grade. Uh, mm. You know, the Jeff, we, I think we spoke about, didn't we? You know, the, yeah. the £20 million bids going in for him and what have you. So, so yeah, we'll wait and see. I, I just don't know at this point. Uh, I find the lack of any concrete transfer activity at this point quite worrying um i think there's so much to do and now there's so little time in which to do it it's basically six weeks until the new season starts and that's the deadline it's not like the olden days yes you know we start the season but don't worry we've got a few weeks we've got deadline day what we've got on day one is what we've got what are they doing what are they doing i mean are they are they like industriously beavering away under the radar. We don't know anything about what's going on because they're keeping it so tight-lipped and then all of a sudden this explosion of of business will happen. Or are they just fucking wandering around in the dark going, wah, ah, ah. Could it be? Here's a crazy theory. That they had a plan. (gasps) Right. That because they thought they were going to get into the Champions League. No. And that when Raul Senier said back in May, we don't really like to think about what happens if we don't make the Champions League, he wasn't being flippant. <laughs> he was deadly serious. And their Champions League plan, which was, you know, let's buy Wilfred Zaha. They'd even told Wilfred Zaha about it. Subsequently, they've not come back. You know, and they're he's just, having to tell his agent, Arsenal told me they were going to buy me, and now they're skint, and he's stuck at Crystal Palace. We've got no alternative plan, and we're scrabbling around trying to come up with something. I mean, genuinely, that is sort of how it feels. <sighs> yeah. It wouldn't be surprising. It wouldn't be surprising. They're just refusing to countenance the idea that we're outside the, the, uh, the Champions League. We are the ostrich. I mean, it can't be the case. They must have no, a backup plan. They but... must do. They did say, I mean, in fairness, he did say, you know, we've got a very good plan. We've got a very good plan, he said. But, I mean, if your very good plan can be unraveled by one thing, you know, a possibility, which is finishing outside the Champions League, surely, you know, you have a, you have a contingency plan, don't you? Mm. Wouldn't you? Would you? I would. I oh, think man. I would. You'd, want, you'd like to think so. Like, if um, X happens, we can do Y. If A happens, we can do B, whatever that is. It's just, you know, it's, uh, what do you call it? Theorems, algebra, football algebra. We need to be yeah. better at football algebra. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because, 
you know, in terms of our summer plan, I mean, one of the big things that was talked about at the end of last season and how it might change the shape of the squad was, you know, can they move Mesut Ozil on? Mm. And it's interesting today, you know, all the kit messaging that's come out, he's absolutely front and centre, isn't he? I mean, from a sort of a marketing point of view, it doesn't feel like a club saying he's not part of the future here. Um, mm. I know his personal relationships with Adidas might have a part of that, but, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, Sort of everything you thought might happen at the end of last season kind of hasn't, and we've just sort of stayed still. And that is unfortunately the story of our financial accounts over the past 10 years, that we've sort of stayed still. <sighs> OK, well... But stay we still when you're near that cliff edge, guys. Just yeah. stay as still as you possibly can. If you're listening to this on a cliff, step, step away. Step back, step back, step back. Mm. Because... We can cheer you up um, because we do have some excellent magpie-related japery a bit later on. And I did say I'd give you a chance to win uh, a oh, home yeah. shirt. So let's do that. If you want to win a home shirt, the brand-new Adidas home shirt, which brings us back to days of yore in which we all loved Arsenal so much and they didn't disappoint us at every single turn and make our lives and our families' lives, by extension, miserable. Uh, all you have to do is send an email to competition at arsblog.com. Competition at arsblog.com. Can we think of a question? I can't think of a question now. I should have thought of that before I started this. Um, I mean, yeah, well, I suppose we should have a question, shouldn't we? Yeah. A difficult question or an easy question? Relatively easy question, I think. Because, you know, I don't people's lives are difficult enough already. We don't want to complicate them. Um what should it be about? <laughs> Something <laughs> Arsenal related, perhaps? All right. Uh, go on. Uh, who it, Oh, I don't know, it's quite difficult. It is when you just like think of a question. Just think of a question. Well, because you've got to think of the answer first. Yeah. You've got to know that you know the answer. Yeah. Um, who? Here, I don't know. Andrew. Okay, you all go. right. Here is the question. All right. How good is our good plan this summer? Is it A, not that good? Yeah. B, quite good? Yeah. C, not that good? Okay. Pick your answer. So, There's no a, wrong answer. Not that good. Yeah. B quite good. C not. That good. There's no wrong answer. There's no I mean, wrong that's answer. Just B is probably a wrong answer. B quite good sounds like a wrong answer to me. <laughs> if I was entering this competition, I'd be torn between A and C. Let's okay. just put it like that. All right. If you want to enter and you want to win yourself a home shirt with your name and number on the back, or any name and number on the back, you could get like. Cronky 10 on the back. You could do that. Oh, my. Well, imagine get, walking to the Emirates with Cronky on the back of your shirt. I know. I wouldn't... I would refuse. If if the winner said to me, I want Cronky 10 on the back of the... I would refuse. I'd say, no, you can't. You've just fucked your chance of winning now. I'm going to pick a different winner. So don't pick Cronky on the back of your shirt. Pick I'm something good. Zaha, 80 million on the Zaha. back of mine. <laughs> so many zeros. Like, I'll use O's, so they just have loads of zeros. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, look, send your entry to competition at arsblog.com. I'll pick a winner, and we'll give it out on next week's Arsecast Extra, and uh, we can do all the shirt business. Right, I think we should take a break, and we'll do mm. some questions in part two right after this.
Your Mouse Jones here, one third of the Guys Next Door podcast. Now listen here, with best Christmas ever on AMC Plus, every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern and iconic family classics like the Polar Express and the Year Without Santa Claus, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. It's the holiday season, and that means it's time to see old friends like Buddy the Elf, Heat Miser, and Clark Griswold. They're all here on AMC+. AMC Plus is available on all your devices, so celebrate the best Christmas ever, anytime, anywhere. Make sure you sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. And on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. You can become an Arsblog member on Patreon by visiting patreon.com forward slash Arsblog, signing up for a fiver a month, and you get all that uh, Discord content, extra stuff, goodness, uh, straight away. So feel free to sign up there. Um, James Aaron Ramsey in a Juventus shirt before we get into the questions bit sad yeah makes me bit sad. sad wearing the magpie colours yeah there he is mm. I uh it's a, it's an unfortunate thing isn't it I mean so it's July 1st today so that means Aaron Ramsey's no longer an Arsenal player officially mm. Danny Welbeck is not officially uh is David Espina gone I can't work that out no Has he's he gone? no I mean no not there's been nothing official yet yeah, but people are sort of talking like it's done, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, I think The Guardian had it listed on one of their deals of the summer that's been, you know, they do a running total of all the, the transfer deals that have been done and they included the Ospina deal in there. I think it was three and a half million pounds they have down yeah. beside it, but there's been nothing official from Arsenal or Napoli. Maybe that will change today when all the transfer news starts happening. Maybe David Ospina's move to Italy is the ball which gets uh, which gets the ball rolling, I should say. I might just say, whatever you think of David Ospina, he is an international number one goalkeeper. That's not a lot of money. It's no. It's not a lot of money at all. It's almost as if we're not very good at selling players, goalkeepers in particular. I don't want to no. like hark back to you know selling... Chesney uh, uh, to Juventus for ten million pounds, mm. while Liverpool spent sixty-five million pounds on the guy that was keeping um, that Chesney was keeping out of the Roma side. Let's not do that, will we? No, I, I, that doesn't sound like something we would do. Um, I actually have a question that's slightly to do with Aaron Ramsey. Okay, for it. sure. Why not? It's Let's start. From- Twitter, and it's from JJ Burkamp 10 And JJ says, Hi guys, does it concern you, as it does me, that we don't appear to be linked with any central midfielders to replace Ramsey? Our midfield is exceptionally light, and this is surely a key position to fill. We may not like our centre-back offering, but at least we have numbers there. It's a very good point. We, we do have numbers at centre-half. You know, if Chambers comes back... Um, holding to come back. Holding Scrantis, to come back. Kishani, Montreal, if you want to count Montreal. Yeah. Um, 
Mavropanos, of course. Mavropanos. Yeah, so there's numbers. There's options yeah. anyway. Uh, the 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 variable quality of those options is another debate. But yeah, I think midfield is. Staffy. <laughs> we didn't even mention it. I know. I was happy yeah. there for a moment. Um, you know, when you look at midfield, though, we have Lucas Torreira, who's been away all summer on international duty after mm. playing the longest season of his life. Um, yeah. He appears to be staying, and there's you know nothing concrete to that Milan stuff, so that's good. Um, yeah, Milan have denied it, haven't yeah. they? That they made any sort of approach. So maybe it's. A I don't believe thing. anything that comes out of Gazidis's mouth. Anyway, um, yeah, so Torreira has been away and needs a break, and you know, uh, Ginduzi's been away with the European under twenty ones. Granit Xhaka played in the Nations League and he's been off on his holidays, so he should be nicely um, rested. So we've got one central midfield player coming back in in, in reasonable shape for preseason. Mohamed El Nenny, of course, is at the African Cup of Nations right now with Egypt. So, you know, he's not going to make much of preseason. Um, he's certainly going to need his, his holidays. So basically we have one central midfield player who hasn't been involved in summer football, but was kind of involved in summer football because he played in the Nations League till, what, middle of June, more or less, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well into June, I think. So we've got four central midfielders, four senior central midfield players. We've lost Ramsey. We need to improve in there anyway. Uh, So, yes, I am a little bit worried that we haven't been linked with anybody. Again, maybe this is what's going on behind the scenes, James. Keeping it quiet. Going to surprise us with a massive transfer uh, hit all in one go. But yeah, it is. It is. And that's why I I thought, you know, if we were interested in Christopher Nkunku in January, Mm. why not bring him in in the summer? Because he was like... Cheaper. Cheaper and available, more available. Didn't we try and make a bid or something in in January and they turned it down. Um, I can't quite remember the details, but what's changed between January and now that we're no longer interested? Sven's gone. Sven's gone. Could be. Are Leipzig able to offer Champions League football and we're not? Uh, Maybe so. Maybe he doesn't... Yeah, maybe the player didn't want to come to us. I mean, it's possible they finished yeah. third, after all, in the Bundesliga. Um, so maybe that's part of it. Are you? That, I mean, that's probably. Yeah. Are you worried about it? Are you concerned about this question? Yeah, yeah, because I, when I look at our central midfield options, I mean, uh, Mohamed Al Neni is sort of one of those players I'm kind of staggered is still here. He's one of those that I don't really understand why he's not been moved on, and I think he absolutely needs to be moved on. I suppose. Callum Chambers gives you an option in there as a kind of deeper midfielder that we didn't have last season. Bielik potentially does that. Maybe they're looking at Maitland-Niles as a possible central midfield player. Um, maybe Joe Willock. Mm. But Ramsey was so integral to this team last season. I mean, look at the way our season collapsed as soon as he got injured. I mean, it was pretty remarkable. Uh, he made that formation work, and without him, we were pretty disastrous. Mm. Um, he's a really high-quality player, and I would love to see someone come in and replace him. We've not been linked with anybody, really, have we, in that role, apart from Brahimi? 
No. Um, as a sort of attacking midfield player or box-to-box midfield player. But like a really solid, you could see how uh, a really, really solid central midfield player could improve this team. Well, yeah, because we're sort of relying on Granit Xhaka at the moment and I think everyone has doubts about him. You know, understandably, he's not the most convincing. Uh, but but he is the He's the most senior, yeah. But, um, yeah. But by, by virtue of being... The oldest, basically. By default. Yeah, yeah but, but um, you know, and and Xhaka, you know, on his day, can be a very good player. I just, you know, think about the fucking stupid penalty he gave away against Brighton, which... Um, oh, yeah. Contributed to the end of that then. season. You know, so he's a flawed player. You know, he can be very good. He can also be pretty bad. Um, and most of the time, he's just kind of fine which is fine if that's what you want. But if you want to be better, you need to get somebody uh, of greater quality in there. You know, uh, maybe a follow-on question from this uh, comes from, where is it here? From Keanu O'Sullivan, who's at Keanu O'Sullivan 21. He says, what are your uh, expectations uh, of Genduzzi uh, for next season? More goals and assists, more learning from mistakes. Do you expect him to be one of the first names on our team sheet? So, you know, we talk about needing to improve in central midfield. You know, do you see Genduzzi as somebody at his age after a first uh, season in England as somebody who's, who's going to be able to um, improve and help improve the midfield? Or, or is it still very early for him? I mean, certainly right now it feels like he's going to play an awful lot of football. Um, you know, we've got three central midfielders, Torreira, Genduzzi, Shaka, and you can sort of see them rotating it you know unless they're supplemented i think they're going to be the three guys uh what am i expecting i do expect improvement i i'm not necessarily sure i ever see him as a guy who's going to rack up goals and assists i don't think that's comes naturally to him mm. uh, from what i can see what i would like to see is improved sort of defensive awareness i think he's often at his best when he's playing from deeper and you know taking the ball off the bat four and making things happen, playing, you know, in between the lines. But he is caught on the ball regularly and mm. can be a little bit naive. And that's, I think, where I hope to see improvement. And to be honest, where I would expect to see it, because I feel like that's something that coaching should fix. You know, you can't coach someone to smash it in. Well, you can, but it's harder to coach someone to smash it in from 30 yards than it is to be aware positionally and be aware spatially. And I think uh, that's where he needs to improve. And I I'm sort of optimistic that he will. What do you reckon? Um, you know, I think, I think he needs to develop maybe with with better players around him. Like I don't see him as. Remember when Fabregas was that age, and you felt confident that he could hold together a midfield. I mean, he did at that age, didn't he, with some uh, fairly iffy players around him at times uh, mm. in the centre of our midfield. Uh, I don't really see Ganduzi as, as that good. Um, maybe he will be at some point, but I don't know. what What's realistic? What's the realistic expectation for a 20-year-old central midfielder um, in his second season in England? I mean, if he does a bit more of what he did last season... Fine, you know. I uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm not sure about him. I'm not sure about him. Yeah, I think that's valid. I mean, look, 
I think sometimes people say, well, look, if you come into a team at 19 years old and you're flourishing in that team, it means you're going to become a world star. Mm. You know, for every Fabregas, there's a Danielson. You know, there are mm. two sides and it doesn't guarantee anything. I think what you can say is he is going to have opportunities. I mean, Nuno Emery gave him opportunity yeah. after opportunity last season and that is an area of the park where we're looking light. So he will have the chance to hone his skills and develop. And if we're talking about needing to increase the value of the players we have and create potential revenue sources, I can see that he's a prime candidate for that, potentially, given what we paid. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I'm not sure I see him becoming like a sort of Fabregas-level talent. No, no, but I think if we got in a player who was, um, you know, if we talk about Xhaka as the linchpin of our midfield simply because he's there... What if we were to get in somebody who was the linchpin of our midfield because he's really, really good? And I think if you put Genduzi uh, in with a player like that, you know, it would certainly aid his development. Um, yeah, I, it's, you know, I mean, you know, not everyone has to be Fabregas or Vieira. Some people can be Edu or Ray Parler or Gilberto, and they're still incredibly valuable players. You know? Yeah. Uh, you don't have to be. A, a once in a generation talent to be useful to us and yeah. I think Genduzi is someone who could be a really useful first team player I think maybe giving him sort of the keys to the team at 20 would be a risk yeah yeah um, but I would say that probably of anyone uh, any in, in that, at that age in that position yeah I suppose my realistic expectation for Genduzi next season is that he improves a bit and then, you know, the trajectory is upward in terms of his um, performances. But you're not thinking Ramsey's gone, it's Gunduzi's team no. now? No. Right. No, we need And, and, we and, need and the problem better. is you're not thinking that about anyone, really, in the middle of the park. Well, I'm not, anyway. I'm not thinking, now this is Granit Xhaka's team. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, or, or Lucas Torreira's team. You know, I, I like Torreira fine. He's but the closest for me, I suppose, stylistically. I, I, yeah, I, I guess, but I in guess. In terms of someone, I would they'd be like, let's build around that. But, but you know, he wasn't entirely convincing in the second half of last season. And no, that I, was I would... that, that was true of everyone, though. I think, and you know, there yeah. were there were circumstances. I mean, people talked about him being knackered, but remember, he had about a three, four week rest after he got the red card against Tottenham. He didn't play for for weeks, mm, um, or certainly didn't play in the Premier League for 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 weeks anyway. So, yeah, look, I I, I just feel like. With Genduzi and with Torreira, this potential that could be brought along and dragged out of them if they were playing alongside somebody good. Um, you know, I just think there's too many flaws in Xhaka's game. You know, he's, yeah. I mean, he'd be a reasonably good squad player, Granite Xhaka, but I think if we're going to go into another season with with him as the central hub for the way we play... I think he, we're just too easy to play against because he's too easy to play against. He's mm. too easy to to negate, you know? Yeah. So. His flaws are pretty obvious and mm. relatively easy to counter. Okay. Uh, Your question. Right, let's have a question. What have I got here? David McKinnon. This is a much-needed question. So he, David says on Twitter, from... Uh, 2009-10 season to 2015-16, so across those six years, Liverpool finished in the top four only once. They got the right manager and it took a season to steady the ship. 
a few important departures and some shrewd signings got them to their best place in 30 years. Is this a reason to be optimistic? No. (laughs) Why not? Why is what happens somewhere else uh, of relevance to us? Well, I, I mean, think, I know uh, it's as an example, perhaps, so, yeah, 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 of yeah. whatever, but... Well, they also changed ownership in that period, I believe, and that, for me, is a quite a big thing. Um, I also feel that they kind of benefited from... I just don't know if another club... I mean, yeah, I, I, no fair play to them. Their talent identification was really good. They bought Luis Suarez when he was playing in Holland for 20 million quid. They bought Andy Carroll at the same time. <laughs> and that shows you that, you know, it's always a risk recruitment. Sometimes yeah. it works, sometimes it doesn't. Suarez, you know, but he paid for the Andy Carroll transfer with what he went and, and yeah. more. Coutinho, they took from Inter Milan when he was on the fringe of their team, not doing, not tearing up any trees, particularly in Italy. That's got to be one of the greatest pieces of transfer business of all time. Yeah, 10 million quid, something like that, for Coutinho. And they sold him to Barcelona for what? What was it, 100 million or 120 million? More than that. More than that. Uh, Barcelona signed Coutinho. Tell me, what was it? 155 million pound. 146. I mean, that is an astonishingly good piece of business. You know, that's that's Raheem Sterling. Yeah, Raheem Sterling, they took from QPR as an academy kid, sold to Man City. It was very, you know... Uh, unpleasant transfer for them, but what did they get? 60 million, I suppose, for Sterling, something like that. Yeah. They made massive money, but they did it by identifying good players um, and taking a bit of a gamble that paid off. I mean, they didn't pay big money for any of those guys. It's mad. We talk about, like, oh, we, if we sell a Bamiang, if we sell a Bamiang, the best we can do is break even. Do you know what I mean? Like it, we're not. We, we should be signing players, looking for players in the lower reaches of the market that we can sell for higher. Yeah, yeah. If we're going to sell anybody. Yeah, I just don't think we have the the smartest people doing our mm. our deals. You know, there's nothing there that would make you think the guys who are making the football decisions at this football club are capable of the 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 insight into recruiting players at a point where they could, you know, really, really improve and we can flog them on. Maybe we'll be talking about this about Genduzi when we sell him next summer or something like that. But, you know, yeah, I just, I just don't have any faith that these people can do what we would like them to do as well as we would like them to do it. If, you know, you know, I just, yeah, I and, and ultimately, I, I talked about this a little bit on the on the podcast uh, on Friday with Andrew Andrew Allen. You know, ultimately, <clears throat> Liverpool's owners seem to care. They seem to actually care about improving the club and achieving things and winning things, and that informs the way they do business. Right, that is true. That is absolutely true, and that's a has a massive trickle-down effect all through the club. I've got no doubt about that. The only thing I would say is, if you've got £175 million from Coutinho and that can be reinvested, it doesn't really matter 
if Stan Kroenke cares or if Liverpool's owners cares. If 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 you can make that money of yeah. your own back and spend it, then you can you can circumnavigate an apathetic owner. Sure, you can, but I think the apathy from the very top trickles down. Mm. Like, where's the pressure? Where really is the pressure on any of these people to do a good job? Well, I think that's it, isn't it? You've got to have the right people in. And we've just talked about Ivan Gazidis presiding over 10 years of essential economic stagnation. And Cronky did nothing really to no. change that. And it was Gazidis who left. It was Gazidis who left. It wasn't of his own accord. Yeah, yeah. He it left. wasn't pushed out. Yeah, he was running the club at the time that he left. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, and I do think that when you look at our, you know, I know you talk about recruitment and getting the right people in and, and transfers, but when you look at the last two years, I increasingly have the belief that there was a sort of arrogance about Arsenal where they thought we'll get back in the Champions League. Like we, we mm. might be a bit short termist. We'll take a few shortcuts. We'll buy a Bamiyang. We'll buy Socrates, we'll get some experienced heads in, we'll get back in the Champions League and then we'll sort stuff out. Yeah, then we'll see what happens. You know, we'll yeah, make we'll get a manager who who is an expert in winning the Europa League or whatever it is, you know, whose who's remit is gets back in the Champions League, then we can have a bit of a reset and then we'll see what's what. And in doing that, we have sort of fucked ourselves because mm. we've made, made a lot of short-term decisions... That, and we haven't done what we needed to do. Mm. We've got a question here on the Discord. Mm. It comes from Michael Garth Carter, who says, we often hear Arsenal fans criticise Stan Kroenke for refusing to invest his personal wealth in the club. My question is, how can we blame him? Arsenal have consistently proven they're terrible at managing their funds and assets. See Ozil's wages, Mustafi Xhaka, £35 million transfers, which were substantial fees at the time, losing Welbeck and Ramsey for nothing. The list goes on. Shouldn't we wait to criticise until we can prove we can manage his investment? The man is a businessman, not a philanthropist. Well, what was the quote he gave to Jeremy Wilson one time about you you know, if you wanted... Yeah, if you wanted to win it? trophies, you wouldn't do it. Something like that. Something like that. Like, it's essentially implying that it's sort of throwing good money after bad. I, I forget exactly what he said. But, so my response to that is, yes, Arsenal have been historically quite bad managing money, but that is on the owner. I mean, ultimately, he's responsible for putting those people in position of power. If he wants to put a new chief executive in, if he wants to put a new head coach in, he can do that tomorrow. Uh, So I think the idea that it's sort of not his fault is a bit perverse, really. Well, you know, playing um, Satan's aubergine here again. Sure. uh, You know, people will say he allows the executives at the club to run the club. So he doesn't interfere. He's not an interfering yeah. owner. Um, well, if they're not doing a very good job. Oh, I agree with you. I agree with you. If they're not doing a very good job, and as it turns out, um, you know, Ivan Gazidis did not do a very good job uh, at all. And I think he would still be in a job at Arsenal if he wanted it. I think so too. I think so uh, too. And this is where it comes back to having genuine ambition. And you could argue, I mean, this can be a divisive thing to say, that Arsene Wenger wasn't doing a very good job. For no, quite he a long wasn't, time. but then that was something people were pointing out for, for a long time as well. And it, it got very ugly and fractious. Um, but I'm saying that Stan, you know, again, that's a situation mm. that perhaps he could have intervened in earlier than he did. Well, I mean, definitely should have done. Well, you know, he gave him a new contract after winning the, the, the FA Cup in 2017. Yeah, you know. there's hands off. And there's negligent. And I think there is a yeah. distinction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and I feel like it for such an astute businessman. Well, I say he's astute. I mean, he's you know we assume he is just because yeah. he's got billions. He's got billions, yeah. So he, you know, no stupid man could ever have billions. His wife's got a lot of billions as well, so mm. it's a, it's a lovely pairing for them. But you know, there must. I mean, you know, you, I don't. You can have that sort of money and have the sort of without being quite a smart guy. But it, it just seems odd that he would kind of just allow it to run in this way. It's I, why not be more of, demanding? Yeah, it's sort of like he doesn't really care. I suppose because when you've he's got so much money and such a big portfolio, and you're far the, away, you're insulated yeah. from from any criticism. Really, it doesn't reach him over there. Maybe it does, but you know, he's not like he's on Twitter and people are adding him all the time, going, "Oh, you mustachy wanker!" You know, he doesn't hear it. He doesn't have to hear it. If we had ten podcasts, ten different podcasts, mm-hmm. and one podcast had sort of gone off the boil a bit. They kept talking about magpies instead of what they were supposed to be talking about. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They couldn't think of quiz questions. That but we of... had ten podcasts, and this podcast was on the other side of the Atlantic, you know. Yeah. Maybe we wouldn't be absolutely on top of it. Maybe we would just let them carry on doing this stupid magpie stuff. Maybe, but, like... If the podcast... Instead of sacking the people in charge. Sacking should them. happen. But what about the poor fans of that podcast? Well, I mean, it's them I really feel sorry for. Yeah, you know, look, it, it it's... Uh, Don't worry, though, they're going to protest. I hear yeah. they've got... <laughs> they got a march coming or something. Yeah. March against the magpies. March against magpies. But, yeah, look, it is... You're right to make the distinction between hands-off and, and negligent. And the way things have been run at Arsenal um, over the last number of years, it has been negligent. And you can't just keep it running the same way and hope that it gets better. You have to put better people in positions of power who are making those decisions. Maybe Raul and Vinay are the guys to lead us through these troubled waters and out the other side into a, you know, a lovely oasis um, or into calmer waters, you know. Uh, maybe. If they maybe. are, we wouldn't know yet. That's the, I suppose that's the saving grace. We probably wouldn't be able to tell yet. Mm. I'm but, not necessarily confident that the guy who sanctioned a deal for an injured Dennis Suarez in January when we really needed some additions to the squad, which might have helped us finish in the top four and, you know, change the, the trajectory. I'm not that confident that he's the guy. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Edu is our lord and saviour. <laughs> the entire club rests on his shoulders. Come on, Edu. Small I mean, genuinely, task. the man's got to be sensational at his job. He's got to be sensational at it. Wow. Yeah. And he's never done it before. So... <laughs> Here's my no, prediction. I think he has. I think he did it for Corinthians. Do you want a prediction? Uh, yeah, let's have it. Do you want he, a prediction? He walks out, he walks out after no, six months. No, I, I feel like within a year, within a year of recording this little mm. snippet... I'll put tweets something saying, hashtag Edu out. No, either Freddie Jumberg or Patrick Vieira will be the manager of Arsenal. There's my okay. prediction. Within a year? Within a year. By this time next year, one of them. I mean, it sounds sort of nice, but for all the reasons I thought the kit launch was nice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Not sure if they're good reasons. I'm not sure they are, but that's just my little prediction. Listen, there you go. it's good to do a prediction. Yeah. I've got a mate. We do it every year. We, we meet up. We should maybe do it as a podcast. We make a load of predictions for what's going to happen in the next year, and then we come back a year later and see how right or wrong we were. And how much um, do you get right? Uh, I get a fair bit right. He predicted Donald Trump would be dead, and he was wrong about that. Right. I predicted... What did I predict? I, as a lot of it were, like, personal things, you know. Karen will have had a baby, something like that. Right. Um, did she? But, uh, not Karen, no, but I just plucked that name from okay. I don't really know very right. many Karens. Okay. Um, but uh, it's, a fun, it's a fun game to play at home. You know, just okay. go for coffee with a mate, put a note in your diary for a year's time, come back, see who's right, see who's wrong. Mm. Um, okay, you say in a year, one of Patrick Vieira or Thierry, or not Thierry, really, Freddie Jumberg will be the manager. Yeah. Head coach, whatever you want to Head call coach. him. Head coach, yeah, we don't have yeah. managers anymore. Because um, Edu will be the, uh, the technical director. Yeah, that's it. He's getting the He's band getting back mates. together, man. He's getting the band back together. Ray Parler will be chairman. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? That would be Wouldn't fucking know. hilarious. Um, right, is it your question or my question? It's my question, but uh, I'm just being negligent, you know. Sure. <laughs> Not uh, having it. So, Sam Wallace on Twitter asked, with money tight this summer, how would you feel about a back four of Tierney, Socrates, Holding and Bellerin when all are fit? We could then buy a world-class defender when we have more money available. Why don't we buy the world-class defender now, though? I mean, <laughs> mm. what would I feel about that? I mean, will Holding be ready for the start of the season? They did uh, another one of those uh, good videos on Arsenal.com. Um, yeah. I tell you what, if we were half as good at football as we are at making injury videos... Uh, my my recovery from injury videos, we'd be we wouldn't be as worried as we are. Um, but it was good. It was good uh, to see Rob holding back on track. I was looking at him and Hector Bellerin. Serious scars on the knee. Yeah. Did you watch it? Yeah. I mean, the surgery scars are are pretty big. Um, I don't know if holding will be. I know he did say when all are fit, but that could be. That could be some time, couldn't it? Because Bellerin's not going to make the start of the very start of the season. Um, holding Socrates. I mean, it sounds all right. It sounds all right. It sounds all right. But bear in mind, you've got two players there coming back from Long very serious injuries. injuries. Mm. That's likely to bring with it some complications, maybe some muscular problems. Yeah. I don't think you can rely on them to necessarily play whatever it might be, 50, 60 games next season. I don't think they'll even be available for that many games. Um and Socrates, yeah, uh, yeah, I could get on board with that. I mean, ultimately, if we're talking about spending, I don't know, £60 million on one player, it shouldn't be a Wilfred Zaha, it should be a centre-half. Like, Arsenal mm. should desperately need a top-class central defender yeah. that can be at the heart of their team for the next five years. They That's another thing I'm a bit worried about. We're not being linked with no. too many central defenders. I mean, the the big defensive target is Saliba, and we're apparently going to loan him back. We're going to spend money on a player and loan him back to Saint-Étienne for a year, which is, you know, again, I've spoke about this on the podcast on Friday, but, you know, it's a bit worrying that the needs of now are not being 
seemingly not being addressed again. Well, maybe yeah, in I the wouldn't... maybe in the Arsenal underground transfer bunker, it's all happening. But but. I feel like that must be partly a numbers situation. You know, maybe they're like, we've got to move some of these guys out before we, you know, we've got about eight centre-halves. I'm not saying any of them are necessarily of the requisite quality. I mean, James Reeve did say about Saliba, does it remind you of the summer Dick Law spent on a beach talking to the wrong agent for Joel Campbell? Uh, I don't think it's quite on that scale. I think, you know, given our position, uh, I look at it and I'm like, well... Who, which centre-half is out there that Arsenal should buy who's absolutely top-class? That's I, quite hard to... I don't to... know. That's not our job, though. That's not... I agree it's not our job, but let's say there is one. Let's say there is another Van Dijk or Koulibaly or whoever you want it to be. Why would... Again, we come to that question, why would they come to Arsenal? Mm. And I'm not sure there is a £60 million centre-half who's thinking, I can't wait to go and play in the Europa League with Arsenal. So what are you thinking? Like, Rob Holding, you develop your... You give Holding another full season? Because I, I give, thought he played yeah. well last season. Uh, and, I, and I think and I think in the question in the case of Saliba, if you're looking at him and you're thinking, he might be the guy in two or three years, I think it is the right thing to put that down payment on that player and secure him, because when he gets to that level, we might not be able to get him. Mm. Um I don't think that assuages our problems in the in the short term, but yeah, maybe they are looking at holding. And I th- you know, clearly Emery likes him. I think he yeah. really likes his his ball playing ability as well, his technical ability. So maybe they are pinning a lot of hopes on him. I, I um, so yeah, all I'm saying really is that I I do approve of the Saliba deal, while understanding it doesn't immediately mm. help us out. Yeah, well, look, we'll have to see what they do, uh, you know, in defence and obviously midfield and attack. Uh, just yeah. the three. And the, the wings as well. Yeah, the wings. I think right back, left back would be good. we we'll probably need a backup goalie as well. Yeah, Emmy Martinez. That's done. Yeah. I reckon that's, that's what that is. But we do need, we need a right back <laughs> to start the season. Unless they're just I mean, I'm being facetious, but you can make a really good argument for every position requiring augmentation. Yes, Unquestionably, unquestionably. Here's uh, a question from Good Evening. Good Evening. Uh, He is at G Evening. And he says, what is the likelihood of some exciting loan deals this summer? Surely that's a way to plug some gaps without eating into our measly budget. I must say, you know, I heard this on the Arsenal Vision podcast. They were chatting about the level of opposition that we are facing in pre-season. There's some quite big teams in there, the likes of Barcelona. And one thing that uh, Clive, the point that he made is that it's quite a good opportunity sometimes these games to have a look at some of the fringe talent at these clubs. And I do wonder, I mean, I know we've just loaned a player from Barcelona and it's been an absolute unmitigated disaster, but I wonder if there might be guys who are earlier on in their development who might mm. be of some use to us well, you know I mean, I'm thinking of like when Morata for example left Madrid and went to Juventus on loan and sort of was contributing for them it, it, something like that could yeah, be yeah we were linked with the guy at Real Madrid um, Ceballos is that his name Danny Ceballos yeah yeah, um, yeah like they want to sell him for 50 million but nobody wants to buy him for 50 million um and, well, that was the case with uh, Kovacic, who they yeah. wanted to sell last summer. They didn't. They loaned him to Chelsea. Chelsea have consequently bought him this summer for €40 million. Euros. Uh, maybe there are big talents at big clubs who aren't, you know, on the fridges, can't get in the team that we could maybe take advantage of. That's sort of the position that we could offer. You know, for, for, for a Denis Suarez, imagine if he was 
good or fit, mm. uh, we are a good move, you know, a, a showcase move, a move potentially that could become a permanent one or could just be a way of getting more experience and, and developing a bit. That is an option. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think if we do have limited funds, looking at loan players is quite sensible, depending I, I, on who's out there. I suppose the counterpoint is what you're doing then is you're taking an asset from a big club and you're giving it playing time and you're increasing its value for them. If you believe you have good academy players, you could be investing that playing time in them mm. and you would have the equity then, you know? So that's the counterpoint. Uh, and given our financial situation, maybe that is the, the smarter way to think about it. Yeah, I, I think as well, you know, when we we um, consider the people who might leave the club or some players leaving, there's this assumption that we're going to sell them. I think we will probably loan out quite a few players yeah, me too. this summer. So I, I, I feel like, and I wish it weren't the case, but I feel like there are probably quite a few players who we would like to sell but mm. it might be more realistic to say, well, we'll just kind of hand their wages over and take yeah. the loan fee. Yeah, Singapore Gunnar on the Discord says, should we read much into the fact that Ozil has been near front and centre of Arsenal's Adidas kit launch? Do you think this indicates he'll definitely be at the club next season? Well, I mean, I mentioned this in part one. I, 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 has he got a, an individual deal with Adidas? I think he does. Uh, yeah, I think so. He's one of their brand ambassadors or whatever you call yeah. it. Yeah, so I think that's part of it. I also think he is a massive name with huge marketing value mm. so they'd kind of be shooting themselves on the in the foot to not use him at this point i i feel like with the urzel thing um if anything's going to happen with that it is going to be right at the death mm. of the window like i feel like he has to have come back to training been sort of left out of a few high-profile friendlies. I mean, the mad thing is we don't have any league fixtures before the deadline. In the old days, you could see it playing out that the season starts, Ozil's not in the team, he's not happy about it, it's an awkward situation, they make something happen before the deadline. But because the season hasn't kicked off, I sort of feel, yeah. in a way, that makes that less likely. Yeah, I, look, I don't, think, I don't think he's going anywhere. I mm. don't think he is. Um, so, you know, we get on with it and hopefully, you know, the new shirt will instill in him some of his old powers. Um, Go back to the number 11. Maybe, maybe that's the answer. That's what it is. That's what it is. Um, where is a question here? I can't remember. Uh, Jacob, Step away from the cliff edge. I'm away. Jacob R. at Gathy Falk. Where does Ivan Gazidis rank in the Bald Wankers Hall of Fame, above or below Phil Collins? Right now, he's well above him. That'll tell you something. <laughs> well and truly above him. Um, That's quite impressive, really, in the circumstances. It is. It is. Um, what else? I did have another one. Have you got another one there? Mm, I think a lot of the ones I picked, uh, you had also picked. So great minds think alike, really. Yes. Essentially, I'm just chomping at the bit to get into the magpie stuff at this point. Just want to get into the magpie bits. Yeah. Mm, okay. Um, yeah. But a lot of the questions are similar. I mean, there are. I mean, the the other question I I'll, I'll ask it to you. The question I had picked out. Right. Uh, that I was uh, gonna ask you, and I and from your tone, I was like, I can't ask this. Um, uh oh. Where is it? So uh, yeah, Met, who's at AFC Met, said after seeing the Swiss Ramble thread, 
where do we go from here? I'm extremely worried. The only way is down. And I thought, I'll give that question a miss, actually. <laughs> um, I wish I had the answers. I really do wish I had the answers. But uh, unfortunately, I don't. I mean, we have, we have to hope that the people who are running the football club know what the fuck they're doing and they know how to turn the ship around because that's what it's going to take. Um, and, and, and maybe they do. Maybe they do. I mean, we, we, we need to, to fix this problem. Right, we desperately need Champions League football. We need to get back into that Champions yeah. League. That is absolutely critical. Uh, and the longer we're out of it, the harder it's going to get to close that gap because the gap is widening all the time. Uh, we need more commercial revenue and we need more efficient use of the club's transfer budget. And I mean yeah. that both in terms of fee and salaries. And we need uh, better players and we need a better manager. Sure. And I mean, it's all easier a, said than done. A better it? owner. <laughs> Just those things. Sort those things out and we'll be right as rain. But realistically, you know, what can we change? We can't, well, we can't really change the manager. I doubt, sorry, we, we can't change the owner is what I meant to say then. Yeah. We have an owner who's very unlikely to change the people of the position in big executive power. So the, the CEO, the, you know, the, the manager, we know historically he doesn't really do that unless it's absolutely desperate. Mm. Um, so essentially we need Edu to be a genius. <laughs> <laughs> we keep coming back to this Edu thing. Oh, man. I'm getting Edu on the back of my Adidas shirt. That's what you should get, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I hope I hope Edu is uh, as good as you want him to be. If he's half as good as you would like him to be, he's going to be amazing. I need Edu to be as good as I hope he's going to be, and I need all the kids to be better than I think they're going to be. And then maybe we're getting mm. somewhere. Okay. All right. Well, look. Let's uh, let's leave that aside, and we get to the thing that people really want to hear, and that's that's the magpie facts. Great. So I got a couple of little shout outs here to do before I lay this on you. First to uh, DJ Bowen at DJ Bowen three, who last week made a SoundCloud little clip of your uh, magpie facts jingle. He mm. put it together. Um, so thank you for that. And then also to Sca Danny, who's at Scanamadan. Uh, who made a video of the Magpie Facts jingle. An uh, animation. It's incredible. I mean, it, honestly, it shows that Magpie Facts is TV ready. Yeah. We're taking this to, uh, to E4 straight after yeah. this podcast. We've got a pitch meeting with, uh, with some executives in there. But I got an email last week from a guy called Leo, Leo Durwell, who said, okay. is there any way you could send me the audio of the Magpie Facts clip uh, of you singing the jingle. And I said, yeah, I'll definitely do that. He said, look, I've, I've, I've got a really good idea. I'm going to work on it this week. I'm going to put something together. I'm going to send it back to you. And I was like, oh, cool. That sounds great. What is this guy going to do? I'll find out by the end of the week. The next day, the next day, he said, I got so excited about this. I couldn't help but finish it last night. Oh, my word. So we put this together. I'm going to play this for you now. Okay. And this is what he came up with. You ready? <laughs> yeah. Ready? Okay, here we go. Mad pie.
What about that? I can't believe we're going to have a TV show and a number one single. <laughs> that's it, amazing. That's, What's his name? Leo. Leo Durwell. Um, Leo Durwell. That, thank you so much. I mean, that meant an enormous amount to me. I have to be, to be honest. Beautiful. I mean, I told you last week about the Magpie Facts being an earworm for me. And I was yeah. going around singing the Magpie Facts jingle. You know, he sent this to me and it's been open on my computer and I'm sitting here and I'm working and I'm going, I'll just listen to it one more time. Just, yeah. just one more time. It's and so it's great. in my brain. It's been in my brain since he sent it to me. It's cool though, isn't it? It's very fucking cool. It's really cool. It's really cool. We need the guy who did the animation to make a music video for it and then we can, you know, release it properly. Oh, yeah. Uh, get that it would to, be a beautiful get thing. Get it to number one. It'll be the yeah. shortest number one single of all time. <laughs> yeah, but that's the way it's going, Andrew. People's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. The 35-second se- single, we're in a new era, folks. Music mm. revolution starts here. Starts right. here. Do you want some magpie facts? I definitely want some magpie facts. Uh, literally, uh, every listener, yes! Uh, uh, the ones who are still here obviously want the magpie facts. The others all stopped listening quite a long time ago. It's a shame they missed that jingle. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I don't know if it's just because we're talking about it and I'm paying more attention, but magpies are everywhere in the news at the moment. They're getting up to all sorts. Go on. Did you, well, did you see the Metro headline that I sent you on Instagram? Uh, I tagged you in that, maybe. Oh, yes. Yeah. Where, where the, the Metro went with the headline, Arsene Wenger, not ready for magpies in near future. And I was like, oh, mm. we've lost a listener there. Yeah. But um, <laughs> Gunnar Moore, 1978, tweeted me saying, and if, do you know this? Because you're in an adjacent nation. He says, in parts of Northern Ireland, people spit on their little right-hand finger when a magpie is seen. Um, I, you know, I can't, I can't. <laughs> Why? Are they lubricating it? What's going on? <laughs> I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. We do have some strange customs on this island, uh, and that's that's definitely one of them. I haven't heard of that before. You have to be quite accurate to spit onto your little finger of your right hand, unless you're doing it at close proximity. Yeah, you would bring um, your finger towards your mouth, I would say, rather than hold your finger sure. <laughs> at a distance. Um, and then the big magpie fact of the week, which... I'll have to send you the link for it, actually. I'll send it to you. Shall I send it to you in the chat window yeah. here? So magpies love Scrabble. It's my big magpie fact. Magpies love Scrabble? Yeah, scientifically proven. By science? The, yeah, an, an organisation have published an, ex, uh, an article. I won't name them because I don't like them, but they're called the Maley Dale. And they have got a photograph here of an image that was apparently a big hit on Reddit, of a magpie playing Scrabble. Can you see it? I can see it, yeah. Wow. He's there playing. Yeah. And uh, it's got some of the comments from people underneath that they've commented on Reddit. And one guy said, magpies are so smart and seem to have a sense of humour, and I really like them. They've got a sense of humour. Well... Unlike crows, the humourless wankers. <laughs> And rooks. I mean, yeah. How do you feel about that? Would you fancy a game of Scrabble against a magpie? I don't think I would. I don't like to be close to birds. I just no. don't like... They're too flappy and stuff. I just don't... I don't trust them at all. Yeah. Don't trust yeah. birds. How do they know if a magpie has a sense of humour or not? 
Well, I don't know because I mean they're not. I mean they they're not. I guess good they laugh at tellers. stuff. They're not good yeah, joke tellers. I've never heard a magpie tell a joke, so it must be how they're reacting to stuff. Do you know what I mean? It must be like you sat around with a magpie playing Scrabble. You deliver a one-liner, and the magpie just laughs in a very generous way. But what, you what know, do you think a magpie's laugh sounds like? It probably sounds exactly like that chattering sound at the end of the jingle. Oh yeah, the magpie chatter. That's <laughs> that's what they sound like. That's uh, that is what they sound like. I mean, as you must be absolutely. How are the magpies in your wankers. in your garden? Wankers, wankers, yeah, absolutely. They're, wankers. Wankers. they're at it again this morning. Fucking five o'clock in the morning, <sighs> chattering, chattering away. And of course, you know, Lana's wants to get out there and eat them. She would eat all the magpies. Um, I'm not magpie sure. Magpie pie. Magpie Someone pie. else asked. I can't remember who it was. Sorry, um, I might have to try and look it up now. Someone asked me if you had magpie pie, would that be called magpie? A magpie, or would it be magpie pie? Magpie pie. It would be a magpie pie. A it magpie would. pie. It would be a magpie pie. Yeah, it would have to. Is that be. a thing? What? Four and twenty blackbirds got baked in a pie, didn't they? I would not like to eat that pie. It's far too feathery. Yeah, and no stuff. one brings that up. Yeah, but that's a horrible pie. It's a, of all the pies you can have, it's probably one of the most disgusting. Like mm. feathery blackbirds. I think they would take the feathers off <laughs> before they put them in the pie. Do you think so, though? Four and twenty, that's quite a lot. I oh, mean, actually, who's got time to pluck that many blackbirds? For those who are familiar with the nursery rhyme, when the pie is opened, the birds begin to sing. So the birds are alive in the pie, but they might be featherless. Plucked blackbirds, baked in a pie, and then Singing. you open the pie... And, and they, they sing the magpie facts jingle, I which don't is think, weird because they're not even magpies. I don't think they're singing. They're probably screeching in pain because they've been baked in a pie. It's not good. Not That's good. true. Um, well, look, another exciting edition of, of Magpie Facts. Can I yeah. um, recommend something to people, seeing as we're talking about humour and having a sense of humour? Yeah. Um, Please, everyone, watch the TV show of What We Do in the Shadows, um, which is uh, based on the movie, What We Do in the Shadows, Jermaine Clement, um, Flight of the Concords involved in Mm. that. But the TV series is brilliant. It's really, really very funny. Matt Berry is in it. And uh, what's the guy, the phone jacker guy? Yeah, Kayvan Novak. Yeah. Uh, Natasha Dimitriou. She is uh, so funny. She is yeah. hilarious in this. So uh, I actually haven't seen it. I've only seen the film, which is really excellent. Yeah. And you should seek that out maybe first. But the series is meant to be brilliant as well. Yeah, so it right, really so. is. It really is. It will take your mind off all the exciting things that are going on at Arsenal. If you need a, a little bit of a, a lift, uh, something to cheer you up, then that will do the trick, I promise. Mm. That and, you know, potentially uh, a new Arsenal Adidas shirt. So make sure you enter the competition if you fancy winning that. Um, oh, yeah. I think we should leave it there. Will we go out with a blast of the jingle? I don't think we can... Uh, possibly not. It's no. so beautiful. It sure is. Okay, we will leave it there and we will catch you on the next one. Until then. Bye bye, Magpie. Magpie. Living in the garden. Watch out. Magpie. They'll pick out your eyes. Magpie. Flying in the sky, black and white. Magpie.
holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.